Welcome to the D-Hub Podcast. I'm Leland Steele. And I'm Moby. And I'm Daniele. Welcome, Daniele. Yes, listener, it's the new year, and we are actually having our first guest. Is it in three months, Leland? I think we did the last two with him. It's been a while, yeah. I think so. I think you're right. Yeah. Well, it's good to have uh, you here, Daniele. Daniele... Uh, knows Eric Petey, who is a friend of the show, been on before. Danelli, why don't you tell us just a, a little bit about yourself? And um, you're you're involved in an industry we like to talk about a lot, so maybe hint hint about that. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I've um, I'm an animator, 3D animator. Uh, worked in uh, visual effects with Eric Petey. Uh, Working visual effects for. 12, 14 years, Oof, too many years. And uh, recently I got into video games because I'm, I'm a big video game, uh, I'm a big gamer. And uh, I mean, recently I started working on, uh, I worked on FIFA and uh, in the last, uh, last six months. And the last three months I've been working on the new God of War uh, for PlayStation 5. No, that that's that's really cool. I we joked about this off air, but uh, listener will know that uh, Leland is quite the connoisseur of the God of War game. <laughs> I am a very big fan of God of War. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> it inspired one of our segments today. We have some stories to share about difficult video games, but uh, I remember God of War twenty eighteen. Just seeing Leland having fun playing that, <laughs> uh, watching him for about twenty five <laughs> minutes. So. We'll ask. We'll ask him why he tortures himself. So, yeah, it's definitely. As uh, it will show up, uh, specifically that entire franchise really will will show up in video game variety show for me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I agree with you. Like I like the difficult games too. They're fun. So I I like the kind of spiciness as well. <laughs> oh, you gluttons for punishment. I, I I'm know. gonna be like the guy arguing with heart, you. Have yeah. a nice casual walk through the woods on a nice. You know, trail a walking simulator okay. game. Well, we'll get there. Now, this wasn't going to be by banter, but speaking of the nice gentle walking, I play those games too, and I have the balance. So I, I guess this is going to be my banter. Okay, I'm leading in a banter. Let's banter with it. Banter segment. All right, bring it. I up. have uh, finally. I've started playing a game called The Longing, mm. which is a very, very, very unique game. And so, so when you, you load it up, you are, you're like this little shade, this little shadow that this underground dwelling king has created before he is going to slumber and rest for 400 days. And when he wakes up, he's going to bring joy and prosperity to the entire world. And your job as the shade is to wait 400 days and then wake him up once his rest is done. Basically, you're, you're, you're a, you're a living alarm clock for this guy. And when you boot the game up, the game starts a clock and it runs in real time for 400 days. And then at the end of 400 real time days, you can wake up the king and then you finish the game. So this game is basically like one thing I guess the designers were were shooting for is you can boot this game up, start it, and then leave it for over a year, come back and still be able to finish it. <laughs> right? Like, it's bizarre. It's bizarre. So this little guy... He's in no hurry. The one of the very first things he said, because he has these these intermittent inner monologues, which are just amazing. He's the first thing he says. Well, 
I guess I'll go check out these caves. I'm in no rush, no no reason to hurry. And he just like plods along, just a slow walking pace. Whenever you click him, it's it's basically like a point and click, and he'll walk there. You you know you can find certain items in uh, in the, in the world, and you have basically like a bedroom, a room that you can eventually expand and decorate, and and just explore this cave system, and. It's so interesting. It was so I found it so addicting at first. It's cuz cuz one cuz like this whole cave system to explore. I mean, yes, he goes slowly, but there are a section of it where where it's literally a maze. It's like on you'll have a little a room on screen. It'll be a screen, it'll be a hallway with three doors. You go into one. Okay, great. Another hallway with two doors. Okay. Oh, hey, I found a landmark. Well, let's go back and see what's in those other two doors and that kind of stuff, right? So you're just kind of sauntering around, just eating up time. And he's like, the shade is like depressive and like, like he, it's almost like he, he just doesn't want to be there or doesn't know how to exist outside of his job. Like I found a section with like little puddles and I'm, he's just, I'm just walking through him. He's like, one of his random thoughts was, hmm, that puddle's not deep enough for me to drown in. And then he just keeps on going. It's like, what is this game? I found some mushrooms that I ate a whole bunch of and I tripped and had a vision of the surface. Like, it's crazy. It's it's so fascinating. Um, I've kind of lost a little interest in it, though, because I've explored everywhere now. And now I'm just kind of waiting on the clock. Uh, but the nice thing is, in your little bedroom, when you decorate them, and because like, you can find paper and, like, different... Um, types of stone which you can add color and and you can make drawings and put them on the wall and as you expand and decorate your bedroom in the bedroom when you're in there time accelerates so i have the time going about 10 or 12 times faster so it's not going to take me over a year to see the ending because i when it when i'm not doing anything or exploring he's in their bedroom just i i set him down I, i maybe i'll let him sit him down and let him read through a book he read through Moby Dick a couple days ago. 1,289 pages of Moby Dick he read through as I just left them overnight. <laughs> it's so, it's bizarre. It's bizarre. I'll take, I read Moby Dick. I, I didn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> Call me Ishmael. <laughs> yeah, that uh, that sounds like a very unique game, Leland. I, I'm all, almost disappointed that you can speed up time when you just told me that. I think it would have been cool if it actually made you beat the... 400 real days um but i get it it's a game yeah right um i just i don't at this point like i don't know what i'm supposed to do like there are some events that were timed events that i, I waited for and now they've come and they've passed and uh i've progressed because i waited for them basically and you know i've i've found i mean there are there's one section where i can go and find some other items but yeah i'm basically waiting to wake up the king and see what happens so i unless at certain days, other things happen. I don't. I don't really know. All right. Well, that's a cool banter. I think uh, you know, listener uh, is interested in kind of a unique experience as a game goes. A little something a little more relaxed than we're going to be talking about today. Uh, maybe look that one up. <laughs> um, <laughs> How many days are you in? How many days have passed so far? Um, last time I booted up, it was about day three hundred eight. Okay. So it counts. Oh, you know, wow. counting down. So I'm. I'm like you know a quarter of the way in. Um, probably more now. So what I what actually what I do is when because my my girlfriend lives in the Netherlands, and on our our, our weekend our mornings together, my mornings and her evenings together, 
Um, we'll sit and we'll be, you know, on Discord or Skype and playing board games online. And then we'll just have the little shade walking around and she and I, and I'll stream, stream the shade for her. And she and I will basically just play this game <laughs> with this little guy just walking around exploring. Like it's, 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 it's awesome. Like, I, I don't know. Maybe that's why I'm, I'm fond of this game. Cause I've gotten to share that with, with Emma. Awesome. That's cool. All right. Well, you know what? Like you said, you're you're getting more balanced. You're in the middle of these difficult <laughs> games and I'm, these, these I'm, games. I'm becoming very well-rounded in my old age, I tell you. Checking all the boxes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Danilla, did you bring any piece of... Uh, I did, which is uh, interesting, I think, is uh, I, I was on Reddit, um, and I found this... Uh, Reddit top all games in need of a revival. Mm, okay. And cool. uh, I mean, I feel like there's a lot of reboot remasters, and so I was wondering, like, what hasn't been touched yet? And some of them, like, some of them I even I haven't played. I know of them, and some of them I played, and I don't know if should should be on the list. Some of them definitely should be rebooted. So, um, the number one that was supposed to the people like voted for it was Common and Conquer. Yeah, I mean that's that's good, but they actually just did a remaster of Command and Conquer, the first game. But it's just a remaster, like it's not like Okay, so they want a full remake. Yes, I want like a new Command and Conquer, like, you know, from scratch, like okay. RTS, you know, which Gotcha. I don't know cuz I mean RTS is I've stopped. I I was a big player of World of Warcraft 2 and StarCraft, and then when Warcraft Warcraft 3 came out, I was like I this is too complicated. I can't. I don't have enough fingers in my hand to play these games. <laughs> yeah, they they certainly have gotten more complex, and they're so twitchy and formulaic, like those those uh, esports players for StarCraft Two. I could never keep up with those guys in real life. It's just too fast. It's just like, and you hear like they actually like uh, injure their wrists because they do too many movements at the same time. So it's nuts. <laughs> uh, number two was Time Splitter. Time splitters. Yes, agreed. Hundred percent agreed. Oh nice. wow, that's such a great FPS franchise. Oh, I've wow. never Time played it. Is it good? Too. It's it's. I mean, I, who knows if it holds up? But Time Splitters Two is an amazing game. But the original, like that, was like in my formative years. Like I didn't even have a PS2 when that came out. But like my stepbrother did, and whenever I was at, my my brother and I were at, at our dad's for the weekend. We would get to play Time Splitters on his uh, bootlegged Time Splitters on his modded out PS2 because he was that type of kid, <laughs> and it was it's a blast. That franchise is so great. I mean, the humor in it is awesome. Uh, it just yeah, wow. I, I would completely agree. Yeah, I had it for uh, GameCube, and it had a number of innovations at the time for GameCube. Seeing as that came out in two thousand one, it had a really good map editor. You can make multiplayer maps, and uh, um, I remember that. It had a good campaign. You went through different periods of time and had different weapons that were specific to those time frames. And the multiplayer itself had a lot of cool modes to it. It wasn't just a deathmatch. The favorite mode for myself and my friends was called Virus, where one person would start with like a green cloud of virus, and anyone they touched would then become on the virus side. and that was a lot of fun. So, yeah, a lot of good memories of it. And, you know, I get ashamed of that now because I was kind of a kid, 
in college, didn't have a lot of money. So I remember I brought a bunch of games to EB Games, the store, to trade in and traded in like 10 games for $15 and Time Flitters was one of them. I really wish I didn't do that. <laughs> Such a oh. waste when EB Games is like, yeah, we'll give you two bucks for this and they put it on the shelf for 30 I never played Time Flitter, but I hear like I, I heard so much about it and everybody like there's always someone who loves it. So I guess, you know, it makes sense to be in this list. Uh, number three was Mercenaries, which I never played. Is oh, it just okay. Mercenaries or like Mech Warrior Mercenaries? I'm not sure. Mercenaries was the top comment item. Mercenaries uh, was like a, a, an open world um, sandboxy game where if, I, if it's if I'm remembering correctly, I think I played the first one. Like yeah, basically you think um, it r- reminded me a lot of like the Just Cause games, like that type of feel where you're just out doing a bunch of crap and you're you know getting better weapons for your guy walking around being a mer- literally just being a mercenary <laughs> that's would be an interesting one i think that could be a, a hit uh, i've never played it so i guess and it's another one of those but i played the next one which is legacy of Cain. i don't know if you guys remember Ooh. that game <laughs> yes didn't play it but yes. i remember it yeah i've seen it seen it play you you, you two really like it I remember liking it because it was like kind of sort of like when like 3D like third person was kind of sort of like becoming like adult and like it becoming like serious right. and looked good at the time. <laughs> and it's saying with air quotes. Yeah. I don't know if you got it today. <laughs> My man, that that is a storied franchise. Holy. Because I actually just recently watched like a a three hour basically the overview of that whole franchise starting with like blood omens blood omens 2 soul reaver soul reaver 2 legacy of kane defiance like and my first foray into it was with legacy of kane defiance so i like walked into like the deep end of this whole franchise in the like the ps2 era as like a teenager not knowing what i was really stepping into but like loving the hell out of it like kane is such a cool character I was a kid when I was playing, so I didn't know there was, like... I thought it was just one game. I really didn't, like... My memory is so fuzzy about it. I remember yeah. liking it. But. Well, it's because, like, it's almost... It's because there was, like, the two protagonists, right? Like, um, Asriel, I think his name was, and Kane. So... And both of them had, like... There was, like, this split, and they both had their own... Basically, their own franchise, but still one continuing story between the two. Like, again, Soul Reaver was Asriel, and Blood Omen was uh, Kane, right? And then Legacy of Kane, I guess, was when the the combination of them coming together and and meeting, because like Kane, Azrael was a vampire uh, 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 under Kane's basically Kane's like right hand guy. Azrael evolved wings, which Kane hated and was jealous. Stripped him of his wings and had his other lieutenants cast him into basically the abyss, like this hell version thing. So he became like this wraith, and then I I don't know, it just <laughs> it was like. It did a great job of like making the story right, and but also the the gameplay mechanics making sense with the story and and how the plot was driven and moved forward too. I I don't know. It, yeah, it that would be really cool to see a a gorgeous like next gen version of that. Uh, number five is Silent Hill. Yes, yes, that would be great. My question is, do you want Konami to make a Silent Hill, or do you want anybody else? <laughs> Oh, after they botched PT, they had PT in their hands and didn't make that. 
This is tough. So, Danelli, you don't know. We haven't talked about this yet. I'm a huge survival horror fan, okay. and I love Silent Hill. Actually, I how Eric, Petey, and I met was um, I just was not playing my PS2 Silent Hill games, and I wanted them to go to a good place. And he, as a collector, bought them all for PS2. Mind you, there's still a Leland connection because it was my birthday 15 years ago where Leland gave me a plastic bag and told me to go to town on his PS2 games on his shelf, and I took all those Silent oh, yeah. Hills. So now those for my birthday, respected his <laughs> birthday present by selling them all years later. And <laughs> um, But I'm, I'm a huge Silent Hill fan. It's interesting because I really like the reimagining that was Silent Hill Shattered Memories for Nintendo Wii. Very polarizing game, yeah. very different than the rest of the series. I really liked it. So my question is almost, do they need to remake it? But I've looked up a lot of retrospectives. And because Silent 2 On were for PS2 onwards, Silent Hill 1, which was for the PlayStation, the, the, the poor graphics really stand out when you see that old footage. It, it was okay for the time, but the, the enemies are really blocky. They're not that scary. So yeah, I think that could definitely handle a remake but i i you're right Danielle. I, I don't think i would want konami to do it they've really botched the franchise and going back to pt like i have a love-hate relationship pt because i think like if it was ever made i would not have bought it not because it's a bad game it's a it's an amazing game it's just too scary like i i had serious <laughs> issues finishing like i you know i problems finishing pt just because after the jump scare like don't turn around i was like i had trouble picking up that game because i was like i can't so i was like even if that game was made i think i would have been on a fence on buying it because i can't spend 30 40 hours that stressed <laughs> like i wouldn't <laughs> no i feel like i would have been like i would have maybe watched it like on the side while i was working rather than actually playing because it, it would be too involved like i would just I don't think I could have made it. It's interesting because the game PT, which really was just playable teaser, PT, very influential in the industry. There was a segment in Resident Evil 8, which I don't know if you've played, but Leland and I have played, beaten it several times. Uh, the second segment in that game was clearly strongly inspired by PT. Um, I also have a couple walking simulator games. Layers of Fear, yes. I think, was. Uh, was inspired by PT. Definitely this game Visage that I'm just getting into is heavily, heavily inspired by PT. It almost looks like it uses the same engine. So yeah, for a teaser, it's it's really changed a lot of things. And I, I look up on YouTube some modders of games and apparent or or consoles, and apparently they came up with a mod for the I think it's the PS3. So that now you can get PT if you download it from a website, it'll run. Because Konami really tried to kill yes. PT. They tried to make it so you could not play that. Unless you had a, a old version of their operating system on PS3 and already had PT installed. It's I, I hate how Konami treats their franchise with such contempt. The fans like it. Why are you trying to take it away? I have a PlayStation with PT on it that is untouched. It's stored away. Oh, wow. And it's just like, <laughs> I'm not going to update it. I'm not going to do anything. It's just there, put in a box with, uh, how do you call it? Uh, silica gel. <laughs> <Just in case. laughs> Good for you. 
Uh, number six was Turok. Uh, I remember liking Turok when I was a kid, but I also remember that like it was like it's it wasn't a great game. I mean, it was fast. It was a uh, FPS, but I don't think it will transfer in any way, shape, or form for to today's standards because like it was a relatively generic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think it could compete in today's shooter market. Right? Honestly, like there's just too many other similarly styled, or maybe not similarly styled, but other games that will give you the same fast-paced feel. I mean, Christ, Halo Infinite, the free multiplayer for Pete's sake. Like, there's no way that could could drop in this in the, the FPS market now. I don't think. Just there's too many free battle royales out there. I mean, Call of Duty Warzone. It's just all this free-to-play stuff. If they Dropped a free-to-play version, maybe. maybe yeah, <laughs> maybe. Yeah. And I mean, if I like Doom, the new Doom, it's such a like gem. Like it's so well tuned, and it does everything that are like a single-person FPS can and should do. That'll be really hard to dethrone it. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. Number seven was Earthworm Jim. Oh, <laughs> Ooh, that would be cool. <laughs> that is a throwback. My Holy, mm-hmm. uh, that game was too difficult. Yeah, talk about difficult. Talk about difficult <laughs> games. Now, are we talking about the Super Nintendo version, or is there another? No, I think there's only Super Nintendo version, right? Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, yeah, I remember playing that at my uh, cousin's house, and um, you're right, that was so difficult. The animation was good; it looked good, but I mean, also the creator is kind of sort of like difficult to talk about the creator of Earthward Jim. But yeah, the game was just way too hard. It was pretty though. Uh, number eight, I never played, which is Band of Brothers. Have you guys played it? Mm. I know the show. Yeah, I think I, didn't... I think that was um, I think that was a, like a Medal of Honor or Band of Brothers or something like in the vein of Medal of Honor. Okay. I think. Yeah, that one. Uh, I don't. I don't know that I've played that one either. No. Number nine is a game that I played a lot. SSX. Oh yeah! Come on, <laughs> that game was so good. Wow. Wow, yeah, that was a great, fun game. Even if you were crap at it, like, it was still so cool. And, like, you just, when you're jumping and doing all the tricks and pressing all the buttons on top of, like, it was just, like, it just worked. And I remember, like, the one that came after wasn't, like, the, after Tricky, the one that came after wasn't as good. It was too weird. Yeah. Uh, tricky yeah, was I just, remember that like, too. Yeah, Tricky was awesome. S-S-X Tricky! It's just, like, <laughs> my God. I played so much of that. <laughs> that's that's a good idea of a game to redo, though. Right? I think that would, that would sell. be perfect. Yeah, that would be awesome. And the last one was Army Army Man, which I also don't know. Okay, I played a lot of that. Army Man Sarge's Heroes for Nintendo 64, specifically. It was okay. The novelty wears off pretty quick. I mean, the game is your plastic army men fighting other colored plastic army men. The most unique part about it is, like, your fight would be around a bathtub. Like you would have to go around the ring, a bathtub because, you know, but other than that, it was pretty generic. I think if you wanted to remake that, you would have to go somewhere more interesting with it. Maybe have a lot of vehicles or something in it. Otherwise, I just don't think there's that hook there to really set it itself apart as a franchise. An honorable mention for me for this. This was the last one. And just an honorable mention. I played a lot of Worms, and I feel like Worms. Oh. You can remake <laughs> it, like not even maybe a Flash game or something. Yeah, free online. Uh, you can uh, you can buy hats for it, like if you want. 
I played a lot mm-hmm. of that game. It was so much fun. <laughs> and uh, I couldn't see, like, yeah, make it, remake it really light and simple and free on online. And uh, I think there's a market for it. Yeah, we, we actually play a lot of that. We have a big history with that. Um, So I bought Worms 64 and 64 years ago. Years ago, I went out and I tried to buy a bunch of rare video games for investment purposes <laughs> at good prices. And okay. so I, I have a really good cartridge of uh, Worms 64, but I don't want to sell it because I have so much fun playing it with Leland and Ghost Marty and my brother. We just, every time we hang out and we dig up a video game, that's one of our go-tos. So it, it's a great game. I think I bought it for 80 bucks and even just the cartridge alone now is worth over 400 oh, wow. Canadian. Um, so it's really increased. Yeah, it's uh, it was a good investment for sure, but I just have so much fun playing it. <laughs> um, you know, holy hand grenade, hallelujah, yes, boom. And like the donkey, like, like, it's just... <laughs> oh, the donkey, boom, boom, boom. Just Don't forget the girder. Game. You can never leave home without a good girder. Oh, Leland loves his girder packs because he'll just oh, place a bunch girder. of girders trapping everyone. In domes, making them spend all their turns with blow torches trying to get out. So that's oh, that's man. his trollish ways. That that's a good honorable mention though. That was my banter. That's a good banter. That's a great banter. That was that was really fun to discuss. Mine. I mean, I just wanted to bring out. I, I don't really know if it's a discussion point. I have two, but they're both really quick. Cobra Kai season four on Netflix has been number one on Netflix since it came out on the 31st. So it had 120 million hours of views in the first 72 hours. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's really popular. Danelli, have you seen that show at all? No, I haven't. Um, I'm not like, I'm not big on shows. Like I, I usually play games. The only show that I told you that, yeah, that I watched was Arcane and I highly recommend it because it's just is incredible especially from an animator point of view it looks just mm, like yeah, yeah uh, that's awesome yeah so listener cobra kai season four i'm sure we'll dig into it at some point on the show not today uh i'm sure we have opinions on it leland and i well 10 hours that 120 million where it was us on new year's eve watch binging it so yeah we'll definitely talk about it sometime <laughs> you good the other is um I just got to say, I finally bought the Steam version of the card game Splendor. Uh, listener and Leland will know I love that game obsessively. I put, I think, already over like 100 hours into it. <laughs> I, I really like it. And I, want, I just want to give it full recommendation because I just feel for what it is as a digital card game that it's perfect. Like the interface is very intuitive. The AI to practice against is really good. There's like five different kinds of AI. There's balanced, there's opportunistic, there's specialized, and they are different how they play, which I think is really interesting. And uh, you can always find an online game, match up with someone. I've never beat an actual human yet. They're really, really good. But uh, I even have trouble against the AI. The AI, especially the balanced, is really good because it always does the right thing in the right situation mathematically and uh it's tough to beat but um i just love that game so i just kind of wanted to to pump that 
in the digital version you don't have those coins those uh you know the splendor no, thing there's so, the, the chips are so yeah. like so it's so right. good to feel yeah what is nice though is you you click on the coins individually to get them which i like you you see the coins are all on the right side and you just click and it makes a nice sound effect like a chink with okay. each coin it's like chink 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 <laughs> I don't know. It's it does make like the chip sad. shuffle noise. Yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> they try, they try. It, it's it is a great Steam implementation. Uh, Emma and I played uh, the version on Board Game Arena last weekend too, and actually, it's pretty, pretty nice too. Although I think it is only with premium access uh, for BGA, if I'm remembering correctly. But yeah, honestly, like that's a that's such a well implemented version of that game. It's so good. And that's all I got for banter. Okay, great. I mean, we could, I got a, a million things we could, well, I just want to put out there, like, Shang-Chi was great. Go watch Shang-Chi. It was like a modern day Jackie Chan film, and I'm a huge fan of Jackie Chan films. Growing up, we'll always watch Jackie Chan with, like, my brother and my dad. Uh, it just felt like that. It felt like home. It was great. It was, blew my expectations out of the water for it. Just wanted, <laughs> just Go see, watch it. It's on Disney Plus now. You don't have to pay any premium access or anything for it. Just watch it. All right, but let's move into the video game variety show, Gluttons for Punishment, where, as we previously alluded, we're going to be talking about some of our favorite difficult games slash experiences and kind of dive into why we may or may not enjoy those types of games. <laughs> yeah. Now, I guess I'll start. I definitely love a uh, high difficulty setting. Uh, speaking of God of War, I have beaten every single God of War game in the entirety of the franchise on the hardest difficulty. I will tell you, they are excruciatingly hard. <laughs> they are fucking hard. The only thing I have not completed is in God of War 2018... I have yet to beat the final Valkyrie Queen on the hardest difficulty because that is fucking brutal. <laughs> I've been within like a sea hair of a life bar on that bitch, but oh, I have yet to actually accomplish it. But that's like the one outstanding thing in that whole franchise that I just haven't been able to complete. <laughs> but I just like them because I like uh, eventually overcoming it. And I mean, it's pretty simple. You, you see a challenge... You overcome it, you feel good that you overcame this challenge. That's really what it boils down for me, despite the heartache and the screams and the broken controllers to get there. <laughs> Danilla, you, you like hard games too, right? Yeah. I'm, uh, I mean, what brought me back, because I used to play games a lot when I was a kid and then university happened. What brought me back to gaming was Bloodborne. And I remember there was a long lull where I wasn't playing games that much, but everybody was talking about Dark Souls, Dark Souls. And I remember trying to pick up Dark Souls three times and playing, you know, putting in 10 hours and then like, no, this is awful. I did that three times. <laughs> and then I bought a PlayStation 4 and bought Bloodborne and it was love at first sight. Oh, Bloodborne's so good. Oh my God, that game is just like, it's just so good. I think like the thing that like soul you know soulborn game have is first of all the fact that they always feel fair in a sense that every time you die or you lose you know exactly why what did you do wrong and how you should not do that again and so that is always like 
is always you know because if it, it's fair it feels like if i get better at this i can beat it and also the rush and if anything you know you can talk <laughs> about anybody who's beaten you know a hard souls boss when you're just like you just want to scream because you finally made it and you feel that rush that i rarely remember any other game able to like give you that you know that sensation and it's just like it's addictive it's, it's really like i find it like yeah right yeah absolutely and i mean i about you know whenever you eventually beat the valkyrie like the last valkyrie you know you're gonna scream and it was just like <laughs> exactly yeah <laughs> and uh, it was funny because when uh so i beat bloodborne and then i went back to all the souls game and just chew one after the other one after the other one after the other and i went back to dark souls one when my daughter was literally born and so for the first three nights she would only sleep on my chest and uh, i was just i was laying sitting on the couch with her sleeping on my chest and the first night i did nothing and the second night i was like wait a second and so like while she was sleeping <laughs> i set everything up so i could play dark souls <laughs> while she was sleeping on my chest and i clearly remember like at some point I like I finally beat a boss that like I couldn't be and but she was sleeping on my chest I remember just silently like screaming inside like because <laughs> I just I just couldn't move it I couldn't move anything but I was just like yeah and it's just yeah I find that you know the idea of get good which is something that in the souls born you know uh, community gets thrown a lot like once you understand what it means it makes a lot of sense and it is true and so it's just yeah i really like there are a few games that i can't beat and i would never be able to beat <laughs> and it's okay like i you know ftl i would never be able to beat uh have you guys played ftl yeah we we have so you've never beat the the boss of ftl no the mothership i don't know why i just can't like i always get to the mothership <laughs> and then i get chewed up and i'm like it's honestly that is a really tough final battle like the mothership can roll you if you get especially if you get really fucked by some of the rng too right like it just it's it's almost it feels like every fight with that stupid mothership is there's a tipping point right and it's like there's a there's a i always find there's this pivotal moment where if the rng went my way i'm winning but if it wins the other way then I just get completely wrecked. And especially when you play that game on hard, even more so, right? Like, I don't actually think that I've ever made it to the mothership playing that game on hard. Maybe only normal, but I've definitely never f completed the game on hard. I never did a normal. It, it is really <laughs> difficult. I've done it a couple times on normal. Uh, Leland and I, we used to do this thing where I would bring my laptop when FTL came out. He had a laptop, and I just go over to his place, and we do our own run-throughs of FTL side yeah, by side. Yeah, we would just be like, you know, "quote unquote" landing, <laughs> <laughs> playing FTL. So basically, just complaining and yelling at our own screens, but each other could offer emotional <laughs> support with it. Um, but you're right; it, it was really hard. It, it was really frustrating at times. You could almost tell like two or three sectors before you got to the boss. You're like, "Hey, I might get there, but I'm not going to make." Like, it just, mm -hmm. you can tell you don't have enough weapons, you don't have enough money or shields or resources. Uh, but that's that's a really good pick. Those roguelikes, those roguelikes are 
the best balance of difficulty and addictiveness. Like you keep wanting to go because it's going to be different. You're not going to do the exact same thing next time. So that that's uh, that's aggravating. So I, I have a reputation personally with my friends of being the guy who likes easy game. What we likes his goo goo baby mode. We've said that on the show a number of times. And I mean, the truth is I do like a low stress, enjoying the story when there is a story walkthrough sort of game. But as I, I told Danelle earlier when I was preparing, I was going through my video game collection and seeing what games I had that are difficult. And I noticed this, this weird trend, which is the... I have a bunch of classic video game systems, like TurboGrafx-16 is the oldest system I have. And so many of those games are super, super hard. But I love them, and I don't know if it's because I was a kid when I had it, and it's nostalgia, or if just all games were hard back then. Because what I thought about is a lot of those old games would be over in half an hour, 40 minutes if they weren't hard. It made you die a bunch and have to replay and and try to figure things out. So I think those games were artificially hard, especially some of the 2D shooters where you're in like a spaceship or an airplane and there's, you know, enemies that come in and patterns, figure eights. Those are a lot of pattern recognition. I've noticed myself when I play, it's like, okay, this spot I need to hide in the bottom left corner of the screen or do this or that. And that's fun. That's kind of a challenge on its on its uh on its own way. But yeah, I'm even like looking at at some of my collection right now. One of them it's weird because I think I find some games difficult that are not traditionally considered difficult. Like I find the Pikmin series on Nintendo consoles very difficult. Even though a lot of people that I've talked to that like those games, like, oh, yeah, it's no problem. It's just average difficulty. I've never beaten a pick <laughs> at all. I've tried. I own three of them, but I just seem to find them really, really difficult. <laughs> Whoa. Even though they're fun. Didn't even know there were three Pikmin games. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. I, I've never played a Pikmin game, so I don't know. Neither have I. No, no, I I'm no, like I. a Nintendo fanboy, so I'm kind of off in my own world doing. Uh, uh, Nintendo stuff but yeah I, I mean those those are are difficult and what I actually find difficult to stay with I, I I must have undiagnosed ADD because long um RPGs like they I enjoy role-playing games but when they're really long like the Final Fantasy series or uh, Xenoblade Chronicles I find it really hard to finish them I just find myself restarting them over and over and over one that I beat that was like a 100-hour game was called Tales of Symphonia for GameCube. And it took me 10 years. I started in 2002, <laughs> and I beat it in 2012. <laughs> <What>? So <laughs> it took me 10 years, and I just pick it up a little bit at a time. I'm like, I'm like you have to finish one of those kind of games, <laughs> or else you're not a man. No, I just can't. But that's, that's what I did. I see the challenge, but my, my question for both of you guys is, um, and I seen this when Leland was playing God of War 2018. There's so much frustration until you beat that hard boss or hard part. And like you said, throwing controllers and just getting angry. Is it really worth it <laughs> after like one moment of joy for 45 minutes of torture? I just, I don't understand. Leland, you want to go first or? Uh, yes. Short answer. <laughs> for me personally. Yes. 
And I think it's a wall. I mean, that's what it's going to boil down to is someone's personal preference. I mean, obviously, that's not your preference, Mopey. But for me, yeah, it's worth it. When I freaking finally, I mean, I and I remember that exact part that you watched me play in God of War. It was, I was trying to free uh, one of the dragons, and there were the the what what's that enemy? The witches that burrow under the the revenants. There was like two revenants and. Uh, a couple of big uh, guys with sledgehammers. Like, yeah, yeah, I remember that exact part. And that's a difficult, freaking part, because you're you're getting shocked by the dragon. You're you know there's uh, ground attacks from the revenants coming at you. You got to block everything, and you can't swing because you're getting hit. It's like yeah, but I did it, and I and I'm I'm better for it. I was that's my story, and I'm sticking <laughs> to it. I am better for completing that. You're a better person for completing it. Danelli, how about you? Uh, this is the story that I kind of sort of wanted, like I hinted at before we started recording, which it was like, okay, I recently just got a PlayStation 5, like the 31st of uh, December. So I get a PlayStation 5 and it comes in with uh, Ratchet and Clank. And uh, a year ago, when, because my brother is a troll, my brother bought me a copy of Demon's Soul for PlayStation 5 that has been sitting on my ah. shelf for the longest <laughs> time because it's the only Souls game that I haven't beaten yet. And so, but bring home the PlayStation 5 and, you know, Demon's Souls, wait a year, can't wait again. I just wanted something that, you know, is going to visually blow my eyes off. And so I play through Ratchet and Clank. Needless to say, like, on five days, the game is finished, you know, almost 96% and whatever, super easy. I'm like, oh, cool, that was, that was fun. And I put, put it away and put Demon's Souls. Cut to like three hours into Demon's Souls. And I'm like, and I, you know, I got a long, long run. I have a bunch of souls and like, I'm far <laughs> away from the bonfire and like something really stupid kills me. I'm like, mm, okay, well, <laughs> I can get back there. I start again, take maybe you know 20 steps die again lost all of that process and i'm oh. like Ugh. and that moment that moment i was like i remember the the you know the bite i remember like the feeling of like this frustration sounds feels familiar which is the soul's frustration which is like you just gotta get good you can't get you can't be arrogant you can't just steamroll past enemies every enemy like you gotta be methodical and like i feel like Souls game teach you discipline. Literally teach you discipline. Yeah, like totally. You yeah. can't just you know be arrogant and press the button one more time. If the boss has that much, you know that very little like a sliver of health left, but you're out of stamina, you gotta stop, pull back, take your time. You know you gotta respect some bosses. Like you gotta stay half a stage away from that boss because if you're not, you're dead. So it teaches you like a way of like discipline, of control, of like, I'm going to do this slowly and methodically. And very like easy games are just like a power trip where you're just, you mm. know, a power mm. fantasy where like the more you play, the stronger you get and you just, you know, steamroll across 300 enemies, no problem. While Souls game is just like, nah, the first, the first mob that you, that you meet, you know, 35 hours later it can still kill you in three hits if you don't play your yourself right so there's a humility there's a lot and like i feel like difficult game have like you know that's why like i think it's worth it because you're 
you're, you feel better about yourself after beating it. Now, I, I got a question for you about the Souls games, which is late in the game, can you build yourself up to a very strong level if you take the time or no? The, the game's always scaling with you. It's okay. Okay. So you can fall behind. You can fall behind by leveling yes. your character for sure, but you're never going to... You're never going to feel overpowered overpowered anywhere, really. Because, again, like, yeah, you can't take the you can't take really any enemy for granted because they can they can gank you pretty, pretty easily. And there is like so, there is level caps. So even if you put after uh, even if you put points in, you know, strength at some point, you're just wasting your levels because it's not going to increase anything. So there's a soft level cap and higher level cap. So like the game is set to be in that range. And you will never be able to steamroll unless, you know, you are, maybe if you're four times over leveled, maybe, but it will take you so long that like, it, like it's never going to happen. Yeah. But I mean, the thing about those games too, is you don't need to be super leveled to be good at the game, because if you get in a good repost or you get in a backstab on a boss, like you'll, you'll do like 75% of that health bar on whatever enemy you're doing that to. And that's, part of the mechanics that and the combat mechanics that are built into those types of games like that's the point of them right like like sekiro um the that the v part of that game is parrying with your sword right and timing that block perfectly and it's very difficult to do consistently i had a lot a lot of trouble with that game although it is it is my third favorites in the Soulsborns, you know, uni- okay. overall universe for sure. It's in t- it's in my top three. It's it's Bloodborne, Dark Souls three, and Sekiro. Uh, I re- I just I just like how different all of them feel too. Like the I mean Bloodborne though. The thing is like Bloodborne is so much further. <laughs> yes, it's it's number one by so much further yeah, than yeah. Sekiro than Dark Souls three is number two over Sekiro. Right, like I Bloodborne. There's just something about that gothic fantasy too, and that dark realm and uh it's just so good it just really spoke to me and uh it's definitely my favorite combat mechanics too the way it's implemented i and i don't even really know how to properly describe the differences amongst the game like it's just it almost feels like the way they play is intangible when they're compared to each other i just i i have difficulty describing the differences (laughs) but they just if you played them, you know the differences. You can feel it. And then going back to the point, like, you don't need to be over-leveled. Like, there, I was watching the other day, like, a doc- documentary about someone who managed to bla- to be Bloodborne, Dark Souls 1, 2, and 3 in a row without never getting hit once and without ever oh. leveling up. That's wow. So this person does be, like, three <laughs> games. So I think, like, it's about, like, I don't remember how many hours uh, like in a row he played and like never mm-hmm. getting hit once and never leveling up with the first weapon like you can find and it's just like <laughs> if you're if you get good these games are like because they're so methodical because they're so like you can you know that if you do this at this time you will win while other games are kind of sort of messy and like you know spammy while you know the Souls game are just like do this, you win. However, if you do anything else, <laughs> you are you're staying on the right. ground. Yeah, you're fi- you're fighting 
You're, it's like the epitome of, of fighting player error, user error, really. Uh, whereas some of the games will be a lot more forgiving for your user error because there's a certain amount maybe, I suppose, built into or expected in the build of the game, I guess, right? And, and you know, honestly, though, something that I've always been really curious about is just how hard it is to fine-tune the different difficulty levels of any particular game. It could be any game. Because, I mean, the Soulsborne's games are notorious for having no difficulty level. They are the game that they are. And there's, you know, always been a lot of most often vitriolic back and forth about whether or not these games should have a lower difficulty implemented as just to make them more accessible to all types of gamers. And, I mean, I certainly don't have a problem if someone wants to play Dark Souls 3 on a on an easy mode, quote unquote, like I don't give a shit because that's not how I'm going to be playing it. But anyways, that's not exactly, that's not what we're here to talk about really. But like, I, I like in though in a game like God of War, so on, on like God mode uh, or the equivalent of whatever they call different, the different installments usually call them a different, <laughs> different name for their hardest difficulty, but it's like very hard, right? There's easy, normal, hard, very hard. And I don't know. It just always like, it'll give you a little blurb of like, okay, you do less damage, enemies take less damage, right? So it's like almost like this double-edged thing. Like you you have to be, you have to land more hits because you're doing so much less, but they're also like their life is huge or whatever. But like even in God of War, God of War has uh, a blocking and reposting mechanic too. Like that's a huge part of its gameplay is getting your shield up and um, stunning enemies and, um, you know, getting the, uh, damaging them enough to be able to grab them and do the finisher, the, all the, the, you know, the fatality moves for lack of a term. So all that kind of stuff. It's just like, I don't know. I just, that seems like something that would be so difficult game to game to really, to, to be able to implement. I, I just have always been so curious of how, how hard that is to actually nail because you can have a very hard mode and it just feels completely unfair. Like, x number like thousands and millions of games do it just i i guess it's because maybe those games have so much more rng which could be a potential factor i don't know if i don't know if that's a huge role of it there is a game that is it, there's a company called super giant i don't know if you ever heard of super giant they made yeah this. yeah and um i always like super giant way of handling difficulty because it's kind of sort of up to you so they started doing this thing. I think the first time that they did it was in uh, Transistor, but I'm not sure if they also did it in the, in the previous one, but where you can play the game as normal and then there are kind of sort of like modifiers. They call it modifiers. And every time you turn in one on, like it does something to make the game harder. But each one of them is different than the other. Like one, like whenever you kill an enemy, it's gonna spawn a weaker enemy that you need to kill quickly, uh, or it's gonna respawn the enemy. Or one other one is gonna make the enemy faster. Another one is gonna make the enemy more health. But you can kind of sort of compose your difficulty the way that you want it, so you can tailor it to yourself. And this they started in Transistor in Hades. I don't know if you guys had a chance to play Hades. Yeah. In Hades is like a roguelite but you have like heat levels and every time you add one one little thing you raise the heat one level and so slowly and gradually you decide how the game becomes harder 
And so it's kind of sort of interesting because like A gives you like a peek behind the curtain, which you like you're looking at like, you know, because you can't just buff up the health. Otherwise, enemies are just going to be like health like uh, bullet sponges and no fun. So someone's just, you know, you can buff the health to a point and the number and then, you know, the how much damage they do, how fast they move. And it's kind of sort of fun to find your own your own hard setting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really cool. Like the way the like I managed I beat the game I played the game way too many times and I managed the highest level that is useful to play past thirty two it's there's no point. Past thirty two you're just hurting yourself and you can do it if you want to say like a bit. <laughs> but like I've been trying to like, you know, slowly inch my way to, you know, thirty two heat and I managed to beat it once with one weapon. There's like five or six weapons. But it's interesting because, like, I tried different kind of difficulties until I found the difficulty that I can barely make it. Because all the other time I would die at the beginning or, like, I wouldn't have, like, you know, like, halfway through my build would just lose power. Or, like, another time, like, I can't handle bosses. And so, like, kind of sort of tweaking, like, okay, I'm going to make less enemies, but I'm going to give them more more damage but i'm gonna slow them down like it's kind of sort of interesting because you are tweaking your level of difficulty and so like i feel like that so kind of in my opinion solves the balance solve the problem of like difficulty levels which is like you make your own you know you have the ingredients this is how we're gonna we would do it now set it up for yourself so you can see how much you can push it and slowly like you know become a better become better at the game Cool. Well, I mean, I, I think you guys are, are helping me at least understand the psychology behind this. <laughs> what I see is self-abuse, you know, just to quickly beat a challenge. It's interesting, though, talking because I asked the question about uh, Dark Souls, if you can come to a point where you can utterly dominate. Uh, because one game that starts off very difficult, but does end where you can dominate and it can be very easy is Zelda Breath of the Wild. That's a, a video game I really like. And it's one of the more difficult games I personally play because when you start, you're literally in your underwear and you have no weapons or anything and you die a lot in those first few hours. You die falling off a small cliff or when one enemy hits you with a club. But by the end of that game, you are very, very powerful, and even the guardian mechanical robots you can one-shot with a bow and arrow in their eye and stuff like that. So I, I was just personally curious uh, about that, about if you guys liked you know, being able to stomp the enemies at the end, but you're like, no, we want it to be a challenge the whole way through. So uh, just giving some background to that. That makes sense. I, I, do, think, I do think, though, that like the... That also ties into the pro the progression system of the game, whereas like uh, again a game like a soul again we keep really leaning on the Soulsborne Neo. Uh, Let's talk about Neo here, <laughs> right? But like the the progression in there is just to keep is to keep up, and really as far as like the customization of your character uh, is a, is less important. I mean, yes, those games you. Especially like the Dark Souls, you 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 pick a class of character which they do have a specialty, and so that does impact. But that's going to be your focus, and you're picking your focus basically when you start those games. And if you vary, if you deviate from that focus, well, then why why did you pick that starting character? Because you should have picked the thing you're 
putting you're focusing on right because now you're wasting effort and time your own your own effort and time like uh so so the progression system is is different like i think um i think uh if i think of a, a decent progression system i immediately think of horizon zero dawn uh very similar sounding to like uh, breath of the wild again i've never played a zelda game either i'm not much of a nintendo <laughs> nintendo person so but uh, those types of games those open world games they they use they have a very clear and distinct progression system and by nature of their uh, open worldness there's going to be areas where if you come back to them later in the game that you're just going to like there's no really need for you to go back there but if you wanted you can just go and i don't know maybe you farm resources or whatever so the farming becomes easier now the as the the aspect or, or the focus of that particular section of the game or the part of the game in which you're you're playing becomes not necessarily the combat or how easy the combat is but the farming and or the crafting you know again that's that's incredibly generalized because it completely depends on the type of game you're playing but that's yeah i don't know i i think the prog progression systems also tie in very heavily to difficulty for me too going back to what you say like i do like power fantasies are great and so like games that like maybe punish at the beginning and then at the end you're like you're stomping and you're so powerful. Yeah, you can one-shot everything. I do like those games a lot because um, I feel like, you know, it just, not to sound like, you know, like talking down on them, but they are just easier, like, on yourself. And it's totally fine. Like, I, I love to do that. You know, again, I played through Ratchet and Clank, and at the end, like, I swear to God, they didn't matter how many enemies they threw at me, they would just all die. Or like Diablo, <laughs> I feel like, you know, if you like Diablo, when you reach a certain level with playing Diablo 2 or 3, you just enter the room and everything around you explodes. And that's a great feeling. Like, <laughs> you're just walking and things die. Great. It's fantastic. Right. But I feel like they, I get bored of them faster. While the... The, the difficult games like it's it takes longer for me to break away because they are all so hostile at the beginning that you already given up on giving up <laughs> and so like whenever you feel like you want to put it down you're like i know this feeling i want to put it down but i'm not gonna because the whole point is not putting it down while like games where like you're just again like yeah you're walking and like you know 25 zombies died immediately like it's fun it's great it's stupid it's just fantastic love it and then after a little bit you're like why am i doing this like i just you know so i think there is a point for both because you can also like if you just play hard games then you become like a, just a bitter person <laughs> like you need some bitter person. <laughs> <laughs> the way that i look at it is kind of sort of like spicy food where like it's that pain that you like and you cannot just like you cannot just eat all spicy food but you also you should not just eat cheese it's kind of, sort of like i try to like <laughs> right you know right, right. a diet if you're uh, constantly yeah if it's constant if it's all spice all the time you're just going to be walking around with a flaming ass exactly and you're gonna be a not a nice person <laughs> you need yeah you have to have the balance <laughs> yeah oh that's hilarious you know, it's funny, though, like, talking about the feeling like a badass, like, that's why, also part of why I love the God of War uh, series, because they always have a clear progression system, but it doesn't matter what point in the game I'm at, I always feel like a fucking badass playing Kratos. That's what's drawn me to, like, again, especially the latest God of War, 
there is there's honestly there's really no point in that game where you there's something that you feel like you are under equipped to handle because i just feel like kratos can always handle it <laughs> and again that's that's like specific to that uh series and that franchise and i don't really know i guess that that i mean i think that's something maybe unique to that franchise just because of the strength of the main character uh whether or not you think kratos is a hero or a villain is another story but i've always been drawn to him and just how powerful he always feels and <laughs> i've always had i don't know what this makes me sound like but i've always had a fantasy one of the reasons i started to work out way way back in the day was because i wanted to be able to grab someone by the throat and lift them up with one <laughs> hand with one arm not to hurt them just to be able just, to do that <laughs> just to be friendly with them you know that's a very <laughs> well I, I don't know it's, <laughs> have you played any spectacle fighters like Bayonetta, Devil May Cry, one of those like yeah, Devil May Cries, yeah, definitely big fan of DMC, right? absolutely. I feel yeah. like those games always like even from the get go, you always feel cool doing what you're doing because everything on the screen is just so like it's well animated, well timed. The fighting system is rock mm -hmm. on. Like I feel like Bayonetta and Devil May Cry are a great example of like games where like you press three buttons. And it just looks awesome, and it's not automatic. Because <laughs> I, I have a problem with the like Batman Arkham style of other games, which is that one is like it looks awesome, but I'm really pressing one button, and that's it. Yeah, you're you're dodging or you're punching. That's true. Although I, I mean, I love those games because I I love the flow that I yes. get into when I'm when I'm doing that, uh, which is the appeal. But I get what you're saying. Absolutely. Like, yeah, like Devil May Cry. Um, it's so combo oriented. Like you can. And though, and you don't have to be good at pulling off the combos, like you say, to make it look dope as fuck on screen. Exactly, that's a really great point. And those games are very challenging. I mean, and you get grades on your combos, like little grades. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, what's the Metal Gear Rise? Metal Gear Rising? Was it the one that it was another spectacle fighter in the Metal Gear universe? Uh, yeah, I never played that Can one play? actually. With uh, with Cyborg Raid. Uh, it's just, I mean, it's dumb as hell. But my God, it's just fantastic. <laughs> like, I don't want to spoil like, The final battle, like, I don't want to spoil it. But my God, the, who you are fighting for your final battle, it's just, like, so dumb. It's mwah, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Metal Gear is so oh. weird. I think I heard in Metal Gear Solid 2 to fight... Uh, Cy Cybermantis, did I get that correct, Leland? That you have to actually Psycho? unplug your controller from the first slot and put it in the second to fight him. <laughs> That's crazy. And there was a Metal Gear One or on okay. PlayStation, yes. Yeah, I think that was at one. Metal yeah, Gear. yeah, yeah. Because uh, Sons of Liberty is was MGS two, which actually was my first foray into the Metal Gear Solid, the Metal Gear in general, which. I, I have a real soft spot for Metal Gear Solid 2 because that was the first game that I actually bought for my PlayStation 2. I paid $130 for it at the time, which is ridiculous. Wow. And I did not have a memory card for my PlayStation 2. So I played the first like 10 hours of that game like 15 different times before I got a memory card because they were all sold out and you couldn't get a memory card for like months at the time. So 
I love that game. That game will always be have a soft spot in my heart. <laughs> and the 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 psychomantis is also like while you're playing at some point like it would like blank the screen like it would make the screen go black and have like missing like no signal like some someone <laughs> unplugged the cable while you're playing. Oh, wow. Reminds me of this game I have called uh, Eternal Darkness Sanity's yep. Requiem. And uh that one got me. That one got me. There was a time where um, it said like my screen froze or something, and I actually turned off my GameCube and went back in, and later <laughs> found out that that was part of it messing with your head. <laughs> so that was oh, that's amazing. That's so mean. We we digress. I don't know. Do we have any more Leland or or Vanilla? Uh, I think I think uh, that's pretty good. I mean, I don't know what else more to say. Yeah, I, I have nothing more really on the topic. I'm the easy guy. I, I was here to understand why you two like the like this game. I think the only just the thing that I think is important is if you can see the way to beat it. Like those games that are too hard that you don't get it, then I immediately put them down. If I don't get it, right. there's no point. But if you can see your ending, if you can see how to beat it, it is just hard. That's when you get hooked. I think you know mm-hmm. a lot of games miss out the point of like showing you that you can do it and they're just hard and that's just like no that's you know i agree all right well it was a good discussion boys um let's move on to our last segment for today or our second segment which is uh movie musings this one called the good suicide squad uh recently <laughs> of our own accord i found out that all three of us had seen the new uh james gunn uh, directed the Suicide Squad, and I wanted to discuss it and review it because I, I thought it was a really unique movie. I enjoyed the heck out of it. And um, one thing I do want to say, though, Leland, tell me if you agree with me. I think this movie in particular is very difficult to discuss without spoilers. So I kind of think we need to put the spoiler warning out there right away this time. Danelle, we usually talk five, ten minutes about a movie trying to not spoil it. But this one in particular, I think there's almost no way you can talk about it without spoiling some of the jokes. Yeah, I agree. I would agree with you. Okay. I mean, that, that, that's fine. I mean, I, I think there are a couple points, like basically just comparing it to Suicide Squad. I mean, I have a, a couple of thoughts on, on why it's so much better than that garbage film basically the film that was made to create a cool soundtrack yeah well you know what then why don't you start with that before we go to spoiler okay okay just i mean it's not like you say yeah if we want to get into any particulars for sure we're gonna we're gonna throw the spoiler warning but i mean just obviously having james gunn at the helm was was the difference because he understands how to make an ensemble movie for one uh he's well versed in 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 getting the that grungy ridiculous superhero feel um you know outside of his work on on guardians he did um christ what was that movie with rain wilson he rain wilson yeah he did a movie with rain wilson where rain wilson played a superhero uh so so like he like he knows what he's doing and he knows not to take anything too serious he knows the movie he's making it's a suicide squad movie these character these these characters the team is supposed to be expendable. That is the part. They are the expendables of the DC universe. <laughs> like they're, that's the point of them, right? The point is to have a rotating cast and 
I th- and also clearly there was no worry about making this a DCEU property or tying it into any of this bullshit that they were trying to build when they were tr- when they were trying to compete with the MCU at the time that Suicide Squad dropped. Clearly that nobody gave a fuck about that and it showed in the film. I, I mean, I think it's as simple as that for me. I agree with you though. Like, I think it's like, it's directed instead of just being made by, you know, some, you know, some investors. While the first one was just like, kind of sort of like, you know, directed by committee. While the the second one is like, there is a signature on this film. You can see that the shots are picked, the timing of everything is picked. And uh, it's, it never takes itself seriously, as you said, like, it knows that this is a superhero movie, it's dumb fun. So let's make it damn fun. Like, I think DC's problem is trying to make everything so serious that, you know, at the end of the day, those are cartoony characters. And kind of Marvel is getting away with the, like, making things feel, have gravitas with, you know, people in robot suits. While, you know, DC is still struggling trying to figure out, like, how to make it, uh, how to make it, like, feel important. But they're still doing it instead of just, you know, this movie like, no, this is fun. You know, you go to the movie yeah, theater right. to watch a lot of fun things. So let's make it fun. Yeah, I, I think I could say two things non-spoilery that I really liked about the Suicide Squad in comparison to the original Suicide Squad, which is, um, number one, the returning characters that they did bring back, whether they were in it briefly or like in their case of their boss, played by Viola Davis, she's in the whole movie, they made much better use of the existing characters, which I think is an indictment on the first movie. It shows that, the, you know, at least in some cases, the right actors were in the right roles, they just needed better direction. The other thing I would say is that, now, admittedly, I haven't seen the Harley Quinn movie that Margot Robbie leads, the one where it's Birds of Prey. I haven't seen that yet. But out of what I've seen with Harley Quinn, The Suicide Squad, this movie we're discussing, actually made me a little bit afraid of her. Like, I think she's incredibly gorgeous and like, but she was like truly hot, crazy, scary in parts where I was like, I I actually had chills in my spine for parts I can't say yet because they're spoilery. But I was like, whoa, like this woman is a psychopath. And if she was in the same room as me. I'd want to just jump out the window and get it over. <laughs> so I, I really like that. And I guess overall, I agree with Dinelli that uh, it didn't take itself seriously at all. And that James Gunn clearly knew the kind of movie he was making. And he's like, I've got an R rating so I can do what I want as far as gore and crazy stuff. So let's just go have fun. And I'm sure it was a lot of fun on the set too. I mean, you can tell, the actors are having a lot of fun shooting it. So. Yeah, 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 absolutely, absolutely. I think, uh, like, also James James knows James Gunn knows how to, you know, have the fun part, but also put in some of that that gravitas and the, and those character moments because we had character moments throughout this whole film that actually made you like these characters despite their background. Whereas in in, in Suicide Squad, like. Captain Boomerang and Suicide like who cares about Captain Boomerang I mean I really like Deadshot in Suicide Squad I was kind of disappointed he wasn't back but 
I think Idris, Idris Elba and, and John Cena like stole that movie really right. Like they both knock it out of the park. Like absolutely, the chemistry absolutely. is just... like yeah. Oh, it's so good. It's so antagonistic. Like it's the perfect amount of antagonism right between the two of them. Uh, and, and yeah, I, I just I I mean I think, I think Gunn just knows how to how to like you say direct. Like he knows how to put his stamp on it and and make something that's quality. Yeah, it was fantastic. See where they go from there. I I gotta we gotta go spoiler alert right. now because there's okay, so much I want to discuss. That let's go into spoilers. It involves um spoilers. So one okay. So there you go, listener. Uh, come back here after um if you haven't seen it yet. We highly recommend. I think you see it before we review it. Come back. We'll have the spoiler discussion. So you've been warned. One of the things that really shocked me was the beginning. Now I didn't have any of the spoiled. So when I went in and I saw the original Suicide Squad plus some new people, I was like, okay, cool. And then right away, like Pete, Pete Davison is like, hey, we're here, we're here. He tries to get them up and gets his head blown off. And I'm like, okay, something's going on here. I actually <laughs> thought it was like some weird flashback or like simulation. But no, he's in the movie for like five minutes. The weasel drowns. The weasel drowns immediately. <laughs> Like, they're like, did anybody ask if the weasel could Can swim? swim. <laughs> it's such a James Gunn moment, mm. like we were just talking about. It's like, of course, nobody thought if the weasel could swim. <laughs> and then what is it? Nathan Fillion who can detach his arms. Oh. His arms start to get shot up, and so he's still TDK. All yeah. pain. <laughs> <That's> so <laughs> it was stupid. so good. Everything but was like, so again, good. Like, that so epitomizes the Suicide Squad for me, right? Like. They're just, they're there to be expendable. I mean, they were there, were the B team, right? Like, A team is Idris and, and John's and Pe- like Peacemaker. And what was Idris's character's name? Uh, Bloodsport. Bloodsport. Oh, yeah, Bloodsport. It. Right, right, right. Basically, a dead shot knockoff. But the thing is that, like, James Gunn is playing on this because you don't need to do the opening the way that this movie is done in a sense that like he's really telling you no 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 this is the suicide squad this is it these are the new characters and then kills them all and just pulls the rug (laughs) under your feet and it's just like yeah okay i'm because i remember like watching and i was like it just didn't feel like there was no character that i could get attached to they were all interesting they were all off but i'm like okay i guess i'll i'll follow these dudes maybe i like him at the end and no, because they all die very quickly. <laughs> it's like, I mean, now like looking back on it, you're like, oh well, of course you know who's going to make it out of that massacre, right? Harley and uh, yeah, the guys. Yeah. Of course they're going to be fine. They're going to be in the rest of the movie for at least you know X amount of time, maybe the whole run. Who like you don't know, but as soon as the shit starts going down, you're like, oh okay, well at least we kind of know how that's going to finalized but you get a lot of cool gory death that yeah and obviously like gun just wants to he's like throwing it in your face like hey this is not the first movie like this is we we've titled it the suicide squad and not suicide squad 2 to separate as far as we can while still using the name and making it a recognizable like ip right like i mean very very clearly but yeah, that opening was was great. Um, I just I love the fucking javelin for the whole movie. <laughs> Harley and that fucking javelin is the best, the best running gag of this film by far. It's so good, and she is deadly as fuck with that yeah, thing. Yeah. Somehow, just she's deadly with anything in her hands. It just it's 
but she doesn't know why she has it, right? Like it was lent to her, but she doesn't know yeah. why. And then she just uses it to be good. I, Margot Robbie was amazing in this movie. I think she's probably one of the best parts of the Suicide Squad franchise, the three movies. I, um, but yeah, she really delivered. What were some of your favorite things or moments about uh, the movie, Danielle? I Okay, the, there's a couple of moments. I think like the the returning joke of smaller bullets is fantastic. Because you <laughs> yeah. see it so well at the beginning. And it's just like, it's, if you realize it, like, it's really in the intro of the movie, they just say smaller bullets. But, you know, the yeah. other guy, Peacemaker, says it. And then he does, yeah. the yeah, fact yeah. that, you know, 80 minutes <laughs> later, the joke comes back and it's like, and you remember it. I was just like, you because you you know what's happening when you see yeah. the bullets you're like wait a second that's a fucking smaller bullet <laughs> and you know the joke is coming <laughs> i was just like ah, oh, that's so good um there was that that bit that like the eight minutes earlier part you know like at some point like i feel like when uh, peacemaker is about to kill the rat lady which i don't remember mm-hmm. and the titles go eight minutes earlier and then it cuts back to how Bloodsport get there. It's actually eight minutes in movie time. Whoa! Okay, I didn't notice that. That's oh, awesome. I didn't notice That's that. Cool. Yeah, it's literally such nice attention. Eight to minutes in movie time. So I'm like, okay, someone, you know, discussing with the editor, shouting away that you know it's they're gonna write eight minutes earlier, and it is gonna be, or at least X minute earlier, and it's gonna be exactly that many that minutes earlier. That was like, okay. Okay, yeah, you know, that's, you know, that's clever. That's really clever. I have, to, like, I like uh, Harley Quinn as a character. I like how it's portrayed. I like the actress. There's only one thing that I'm not, like, in this movie, I feel like her subplot with the guy, with the dictator. Mm-hmm. With the president. Yeah, yeah, I think it's, I mean, it's stuck in just because DC doesn't have any recognizable and loved main character that they kind of had to, like, give her her own subplot just to make her stick out so i'm looking at i'm like this is not necessary it's really well shot the fight with the javelin is really cool with like when she's spinning with all the guns great i don't think it's really necessary story-wise because you know he like he yeah. meets the guy and then kills him and then it's the military guy so it's literally just like oh that's true yeah well so sorry to interrupt but like think of so what exactly does that plot give us for the movie that is essential nothing really like you say like one they dc decided they wanted to canonize a harley quinn fan base for some reason (laughs) so this guy's just a fan of harley quinn from what (laughs) her criminal activity in the united states in a in in fucking gotham city presumably (laughs) like what and okay so yeah she 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 that got her captured which also helped the rebels in their revolution because it got you know the president dead, assassinated. The rebels didn't have to do that. Uh, the all the military was at at the the tower, whatever they called the tower. I forget what it was yeah, called. Yeah. So they just had to walk into a room and point some guns. Like, did we? So so all of that revolution was there to show that what the Suicide Squad is doing is actually beneficial. Like, it was it to justify their very existence? Because like it's a pretty weird concept of oh these murderers on a team to do good yeah hopefully like is that all it was you mean like her subplot or like that yeah yeah well because like this without 
without the killing the president, we would have to see someone else kill the president for the coup to work, right? But I mean, do you even need a coup? Like, you can just have the military. Well, exactly. People, like, yeah. yeah. So like I feel like right. the whole section could be literally like cut out, and you know, you can cut out eighteen minutes of that movie, and it still work. But you know, DC is desperate, and I understand that DC is desperate, and James Gunn did a great job with it. Like, you know, you can't fault the director for doing it. Because you can see exactly why this useless piece of movie is there, and it's still enjoyable because it's great. It's, you know, it's completely, it's amazingly made. Like it's the whole fight is just mm-hmm. spot on. Yeah, I, I agree with Danielle because I guess the the president was a little bit nicer, or he seemed a little bit nicer than the military general, and so. But you easily could just have the military general and all his men tell this president, "No, you're just a puppet," yeah. and lock him away somewhere. So I, I agree. You didn't need this whole romantic subplot that goes away when Harley literally kills him. Because she's like, yeah. someone told me to look out for red flags. and Killing children's a big red flag. I will say, though, I think that is that's actually Harley's character moment of yes. the film, too. Honestly, that's her. That is her, you know, quote unquote, character growth for this film. Um, just because we're clearly seeing the history of her and the Joker uh, and the impacts that her relationship with Mr. J had on her. So I guess that is important for her character because like, I mean, but, but the thing is though in suicide squad, the first one, like that was the whole focus of that whole film. They, it was all Harley. Harley was the, was the character of that film, right? Like it felt like that film was far less of an ensemble cast because of their focus on Harley and then I and maybe and I maybe this whole stuff with the president was like again just a tad too much on Harley like they because it was they did a great job of pulling all that back and, and being able to showcase some because John Cena as peacemaker is great my God I mean as the the day of recording when we're recording this episode tomorrow peacemakers series drops on HBO Max or whatever right oh really yeah it's like a six Got episode great reviews series. So far. Yeah, so I'm pretty excited yeah. for that. <laughs> I'm going to be watching it as soon as I can. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the I think every member of this cast was was really great. I don't have any problems with that. I mean, even Sylvester Stallone is King Shark. <laughs> like, <laughs> wow! Talk about like comedic relief character. <laughs> and sorry to that, but even the how do you call it the polka dot man. Like at the end, yeah, like it's totally. your mom. Like the whole, oh like, god, that <laughs> was amazing. The whole thing is justified somehow. The fact that one character just shoots polka dots is a justified. You <laughs> sympathize with the character, and it's just like it's you know spotlit. Where like it's literally like you know you're not trying to shy away from the character. You're putting in like all of his problems in the center of screen, and it <laughs> yeah. works. Oh God! When he, when he featured Starro as his mom, and she's just <laughs> swoon, this yeah. giant lady just destroying the city. Holy fuck! I just died. I lost it. I lost it. Because the actress they've got playing his mom is great too. Yes. Like looks like the kind of mom that you could understand why he would hate somehow. And <laughs> I actually one of my um, one of my few criticisms of the movie is I wish we had more. Polka Dot Man, I felt like he was the one guy on the A-team, whatever you want to call it, that was a little bit sidelined for the others. But 
it's a True. minor criticism because he still did have some moments, but uh, he was the one I wished I could have a little bit more because he's so unique. You know what I think it was is because he was too powerful. Like if yeah. he didn't get crushed, right. he would have been able to take Starro down by himself, right? Like yeah. he, his polka dots could go blow through anything. Yeah, clearly. Yeah. <laughs> on on the topic of scenes that I really liked, I love the scene between John Cena and Idris Elba where they're killing all the terrorists. Ah, yes. But they're doing it silently in like a macho kind of dick comparison contest that is hilarious because it's such a guy thing. Like if you're a guy, you've either seen other guys do that or you've done it once or twice before where it's like, you're just trying to outdo each other. And then how, again, James Gunn pulls the rug underneath you because, you know, suddenly like Rick Flagg's having tea and she's like, Oh yeah, we're the freedom fighters. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like looking around. They just slayed a bunch of innocent freedom fighters. Oh, that was, that was so good. I also liked how um, how flawed some of them were. Like, Bloodsport was probably one of the more honorable people on the Suicide Squad. But you see, you see how bad of a dad, he is. right? Like so, so that flaw. I love, I love how him and his daughter are fighting in the prison. But they're like, you see how scummy of a dad he is. He's a terrible dad, and that's that's one of his flaws. And then there's a little bit of redemption because Ratcatcher 2, who I thought was the sweetest girl, like I that was my crush of the movie, that he kind of starts to redeem himself by taking care of her a bit because she's so nice, even though even though he hates rats. And there's that, that <laughs> poor rat that loves him so much. It's just so many little moments like that. I just love how this, there's those little moments because those little moments keep coming up over and over and over. And so what is it? Uh, who who was it? Who directed the first uh, Star Wars episode seven and nine? I forget his name. The guy who did Lost. J.J. Uh, Abrams. J.J. Abrams. J.J. Abrams has a saying about movies, which he says, movies should be delightful. So they, they should have lots of moments of delight every few seconds or minutes. And I think James Gunn brought that with these smaller moments throughout throughout the movie. Because I never lost interest for a moment. There was always something interesting going on on screen. I agree with you with the fact that I also think like Idris Elba's character is, yeah, it's like, it's not a good guy. And like you, you expect his redemption arc, but for the longest time, it's trying to show you that he's not going to do it. For the longest time, like, because the main character, because Idris Elba, you're like, you know, He's going to be the good guy at the end. And then, like, yeah, he then has that fight with his daughter. And, like, my God, he's a, he's, a, he's a shithead. And then, like, later on, yeah, when he kills a bunch of innocents. And it's like, no, there's really nothing good. Like, And I feel like Idris Elba never plays that part. He's never mm -hmm. been mm -hmm. the, you know, the you know fuck up, if you want to call it that yeah. way. Let's be like, you know, not the bad guy, but not the good guys. He's always the good guy. Instead, in this movie, like for most of the movies, like I can't, like no, no, stop it. That's a great point. <laughs> so I feel like that contrast was just like so interesting because you never see him being so small, if you want to put it, you know. Mm. And mm -hmm. uh, yeah, this movie is always is always got your hooks in. Like there's always a little thing that makes you giggle or makes you interested, like or 
when they say like they kill Milton. There's a whole sequence where they kill Milton, which is just one of the guy. The guy was in the bus. <laughs> yeah. Again, absolutely unnecessary in the movie, but when you watch it, it just it's a little character moment that is just fantastic, greatly directed, greatly acted. It's just like it just keeps you hooked for the next, you know, four minutes that you need to move on to the next thing. Mm-hmm. Honestly, that whole Milton thing reminded me of, of playing Dungeons and Dragons and like if the party has a random NPC that's tagging along, but then everybody, including the dungeon master, just forgets about that <laughs> NPC. And then he's suddenly, wait a second, what about Milton? What happened to Milton? He got caught in the lava landslide or whatever it is, right? Like, that's completely what it reminded me of because I've done that so many times. I've forgotten my Milton. So people, don't forget your Miltons. <laughs> hey, Milton, the fan service out there. That's great. It. it- kind of reminds me in the movie galaxy quest how they have that red shirt guy who is the security officer yeah and you know he's like i i die it's my job i I die before (laughs) the first commercial and that's kind of the milton role in this this movie i i want to bring up john cena too because he was probably one of the most unredeemed characters by the end of the movie because i understand that maybe what they're going to do with his tv show but I thought they brought up a good point and they didn't browbeat you with it, which is he does these terrible things, but he believes he's right. He's not self-aware enough to believe that what he's doing is wrong. And there's a great line where someone says to him, like, aren't you peacemaker? Don't you want peace? And he's like, yes. And there is no limit to the amount of women and children I will kill (laughs) for peace. And he just says it like he completely doesn't understand what he actually just said. So I think he's a great character, and I know John Cena loves playing Peacemaker. I've seen interviews and stuff. That's why I wanted to do the show. I, I think it's like Leland said, perfect casting. I mean, when uh, what is it? When they they wake up in the middle of the night because the shark is trying to eat the girl, and John Cena just in his underwear, <laughs> yes. and it's just like, <laughs> just like, okay, sure. <laughs> so just like, so yeah, he's perfect because for the character, because like, I feel like also. Playing like a colder or like a more pragmatic character helps. Like you see that happening a lot in actors that are not real actors. Like Terminator, like these characters that are kind of sort of robotic and staccato helps a lot. Actors that are, you know, not there yet. And he fits the, like he just does a great job throughout the whole thing. Like it's just, you believe him 100%. It's perfect. Any other good things you two want to bring up before we go into potential criticisms for the movie uh i don't think so i mean i just i agree with you though about the polka dot uh uh guy could add a bit more focus but yeah i just felt like the characters got like everybody got their own little spotlight i mean even like the finale rat catcher 2 it's like the rats saved saved the day the rats took down a cosmic being (laughs) and ate it from the inside although what i actually didn't like about that was like harley jumped into the eyeball with the spear did nothing with it didn't fulfill the destiny in which she was bestowed which was bestowed upon her but we got a cool scene of her in the water and the rats like doing their little swim like that's what it was for yeah i feel like i mean but i mean that's kind of sort of like i I thought that the javelin in the eye was like that was the 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 reason for the javelin like because or the rats went into the eye because of the javelin thing like i thought like that was oh well maybe that was my way of seeing she like okay what so I she thought. like 
first in and, and the yeah, ranch is smaller. Yeah, and I went in. <laughs> okay, okay. And also, just before we go to Christmas, the thing is that even Starro has a little bit of a redemption arc. Because right before, like, after, like, he's dead and there's one of his zombies before he die passes out one of his zombies says like i was happy just looking at the star like so yeah. it was like you know you guys brought me here i never wanted to do this you know look what you look what you humans yeah. did to me so even you know the mount you know a gigantic starfish has a redemption arc <laughs> somehow yeah that's a good point yeah, I loved uh, I loved how the, you know, cowboy kind of American astronauts just get this random alien and they're like, yeah, let's strap it up. And in the space station, you know, what what could go wrong? And I, I just thought that was kind of a funny moment that made fun of cowboy cowboy culture, for lack of a better term. Like nobody's thinking about contamination or bringing this alien being in. I mean, as far as criticisms, uh, I don't have many. I brought up the one I had, and the other one Danelle brought up, which was uh, the useless love story with Harley Quinn. I mean, other than that, oh, and the polka dot guy maybe not getting enough time. But it, it just, the movie was so good, like so impressive, that I don't really have any other criticism besides that. I have one which I I think I find it like kind of sort of I can't recommend this movie to anybody because nobody wants to watch it. Nobody wants to watch it, really. <laughs> because it's Suicide Squad, and the first one was so bad that many of my friends were like, "Huh, Suicide Squad? No!" And so it's really uh-huh. it's like I've been finding it like a really hard sell to anybody. Like that, like unless you're really like just buying me because you know me and you know you trust me many people just like Suicide Squad never no the first one was so bad it's gonna be another superhero movie maybe you like superhero movies and I'm like no 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 trust me this is different like it's a really hard sell and this is because I guess you know you get a good director and you tie around his ankle a bad a bad franchise and so it's just like you know there was no need he can do he's a good director give him anything he will make it good because he's a good director once you you know didn't have to be another suicide squad yeah that's that's interesting that's a good point though i mean i know leland really didn't like the first suicide squad i was okay with it which made this an easy sell for me to watch but leland i remember getting out of that movie theater with you because we saw it live and you you did not like it you were like this no, is no. wrong and it was really i hate bad. this character but they actually removed some of the suicide squad members you didn't like now maybe some of them died in that movie anyways but i know like the the burning guy the gang gang member guy you didn't like him. oh yeah and he didn't come back for this i didn't like him because he was the deus ex machina of the whole fucking movie like <laughs> yeah the first the first suicide squad is really just such a bad movie and I had really high expectations for it because based off of the trailers because they nailed the trailers. Yep. Again, the soundtrack did a lot of work, a lot, mm-hmm. a lot of work for those trailers for that first Suicide Squad. And I was just utterly and completely disappointed. I mean, I, I really hate Leto's Joker, so I don't care about him. Uh, so, like, I, I didn't give a shit about him being in it. I didn't care about the tie like, right? I mean... I guess that was the first time we had seen Harley Quinn. 
So again, Harley like Harley Quinn's Harley Quinn. I mean, Margot Robbie's doing does a good job portraying Harley Quinn. Birds of Prey was a watchable movie, but it's nothing fantastic. Barely a Birds of Prey movie. It's a very weird title. Uh, as an aside, <laughs> yeah, I don't know this. I was really, really pleasantly surprised with the Suicide Squad. Um, I know Ghost Marty had, had said that it was really great, and I take him at his word. And he, yeah, I really really liked it i don't know i don't have much negative stuff to say i thought the pacing was great like we said yeah there's a few maybe subplots that probably could have been stripped i'm not sure exactly what the runtime on this was or if if that was consideration uh, i don't know but yeah uh, maybe just a li- again a little bit too much harley and that ties into that that kind of useless subplot too okay Danilla, what other do you have any other criticism i just that's it. Like, that's the thing. I just think, like, DC needs to learn that a good director makes a good movie. You know? The only time that DC was in a spotlight is because they had Nolan. And because they had, you know, you know, 100 years ago, Tim Burton, when Tim Burton was good, Nolan. So, you know, the only time that DC was in spotlight or had a good film in their hands is because they had good directors with a track record of making good things. And every other time that they pick a bad director, those movies are just... The, yeah. the biggest flaw I've seen with DC, and this is this has been a reoccurring theme on this podcast, is they've since the start of the expanded universes, DC has been trying to be not Marvel. So, oh, Marvel's family friendly. Let's be darker. You know, let's they're doing this, and they're very reactive. And what I'm seeing in the Suicide Squad, and also Zack Snyder's Justice League, which I really like is two good directors making their own identity for things, saying, who cares about what Marvel's doing right now? Like, stop being obsessed with not being Marvel. Just be DC. Just be yourself as a director. And it's hard to put your finger on it, but when they take the good steps like they did in The Suicide Squad to just not care about Marvel's styling or what they're doing with their story, it really shows and it also really shows like in some of the early DC movies when they were trying to be not Marvel yet the same, you know, we're going to have our team up movie and our expanded universe and things like that and play it safe. So yeah, my point. All right. Well, let's uh, then let's give it a, a rating uh, out of 10. So we'll, we'll go around. I guess I'll start. Um, I am going to give this one a solid meaning like high confidence nine out of 10. Um, I think the, the problems that we've discussed for me, even though there was maybe three issues that I had with the movie overall, there's still small issues. And so I give this movie nine out of 10, what would be 90%, like a solid A, A minus grade. Um, probably an A. I mean, I'm realistic that things have flaws. Nothing's going to be perfect for the most part. Um, so, uh, Leland, why don't we go with you second? Because you're going to review this really hard. That's your your tradition. And then Danielle <laughs> will be in the middle. Um, honestly, I I'll put this at a, at an eight and a half. I thought, like like I said, I was very surprised at how how it was funny. I like I I fucking laughed my ass off. It was gory, which I love, which was also part of why I was laughing so hard because it was so gory. <laughs> um, the yeah, great, phenomenal casting, phenomenal performances. Yeah, you know, half out of ten. I would like if you haven't seen this film, then sh- please do. Even no matter what your thoughts are on the first one, I also gonna go. I've 
I'm a feel relatively feel snob. I watch all of those black and white movies and blah blah. So nine is the ten doesn't exist. Nine is for like <laughs> arts movie. So this is definitely eight and a half movie. Like this is like doesn't get like as a product as a commercial product doesn't get any better than this. You know, this That's is not awesome. someone who wanted to make a movie. This is a product, fine, but this product is done excellent. It checks checks all the boxes. It's fun, entertaining great memorable parts just yeah i absolutely ate it and not a doubt it's interesting because we wouldn't have this movie if james gunn wasn't temporarily fired by right? Disney. i think that's what made him go mm-hmm. over so we're talking about this great movie and now a series that has good reviews that comes out tomorrow peacemaker and none of this would have happened if disney hadn't well temporarily fired james gunn because they brought him back after about a year cancel cancel so Cancel culture, that's right. It's like, just roll your eyes at that. But yeah, I, I think, listener, the synopsis here is you've got three hosts here that are all rating the movie between eight and a half and nine. So I think as far as this podcast goes, we would classify that as like a must watch. Like, unless there's a reason you don't want to watch a Suicide Squad movie, watch it. Ignore, like, Danile's having issues with people he knows. Ignore the fact that you didn't like the one before. Just give this one a couple hours of your time. You won't be sorry. So, but not a kids movie. I, you've got young kids. <laughs> probably not the best movie to have them watch. It is rated hard R. They have fun with the rated R, but uh, for adults, it's it's fantastic. I think that's a good way to to cap it off. Now, before we do the uh, the end of show stuff here, um, Danielle, do you have? Uh, any like social media you want to plug or any causes or any side projects you're working on? No, I'm relatively like low key. I just, you know, I'm working, I'm busy working on my dad. I don't have anything that I particularly want to plug in. Just bring Netrunner back. <laughs> <laughs> it's the best game, best, game. best card game I've ever touched. As, yes, it's great. That is a great game. Leland bought me a, a copy of it. Hey, it's it lives. Jinjeki.net and you say projects I know, doing great work as I know. well with other I'm not good at it, but I want to play it more because it's so good. Yeah, oh, I'm so, so the same way. Like it's it's a difficult game to be really. My good God. At. But the I don't know. I just there's something about like the deck building aspect because because you get the both sides right. You get the runner and the corp uh, for the deck building. So it's like it's like a more involved deck building, and yeah, it just the asymmetry is just like. Mm, chef's kiss for that game right like that's what it's that's what sets it apart too right and to me like the thing that i remember like because i a friend of mine a co-worker taught me everything and he used to do tournaments and everything and the moment i realized that the the winning was not in the cards but is in how you play it so right. he taught me how to play and because he was you know tournament people like for three months we would play every lunchtime and i lose not even scoring not even one point Three months, day in <laughs> So at some point he was like, "Are you having fun?" And I was like, "Just, just play with me. Just keep going." And then at some point, I remember like going, like I just wasn't understanding because I was always uh, the corp. And mm-hmm. uh, I remember like at some point I went online and just watched someone play, and something clicked. And then so the next lunchtime I was like, "I'm gonna score one point. I think I know how to score one point." 
with the same deck that we've been playing because we didn't because until I it clicked I we didn't switch decks like, I mean sometimes I will be the runner but the two decks were over the same and it was still having fun and I did score that point because the point are not in the cards it's how you play like I feel like that game makes mm-hmm. you a better card player overall right right, like, right the way that you bluff yeah exactly. I was gonna say especially the corporation because like corporation is half bluffing like <laughs> again depending on how you've constructed your deck too because you can make a corporation deck where it's build the server, slam it in, and, and advance it out and, and score your points and say, hey, if you can get in, runner, try it. <laughs> like, I got the credits. I got the beefy ice. Here's the agenda. Come on in, buddy. <laughs> uh, he, he had a deck where he was like, uh, the, I don't remember the names. Again, I'm not a great player, but I remember loving and playing this game. I had the, the yellow deck, and it basically was like, you know, you have in front of you seven servers without ice. Yeah. <laughs> and it was just yeah. like, ah, oh, this is just, this game is so big. Like, yeah, ugh. those are, I love going horizontal in that game. Uh, like, I love, like MBN is the, is the oh, yeah. corporation, like Jinchecki yeah. as well. Um, the Bonsai Tree Corporation. Yeah. I love going horizontal, just server, 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 server. And hey, pick what you want. Cause like, the fun part is like playing the trap cards, right? And trying to get a flat line for the runner too. Like <laughs> such a good game. There's just my so many God. ways to play that game. It's, it's so great. Such a so good great. game. And it's hard, but it's also hard to tell because I try to teach my friends and it takes a long time to understand. Yeah. Yep. Cause yep. there is a mentality to like, you need to think while I feel like magic, I played magic for many years, but magic, a lot of it is in the, it's in the, it's in making the deck. Yeah, you know, magic. The back is seventy percent, thirty percent of playing. While you know, this one is like, and so I try to teach my friends, and they played a couple of games, and they're like, mm. they didn't really get it. I'm like, Ugh. instead, of like a netrunner, when you're playing, like you're sitting down, and you're like, wait, I need to do some math. You know, like you're thinking. You do <laughs> sometimes have to do. Yeah, you do absolutely have the math things up for sure. You know, it's interesting uh, too about that is like, I I prefer being the corporation. Um, I. I don't like running all that much. I find it very difficult for me to make a decent runner deck. So then I always kind of fall back on like when I'm trying to teach I'm like, well, I'll teach the person I'm teaching to. I'll let them play corporation first. Cause to me, that's the easiest one to understand. But I don't know if that is, is even right. Because if you can teach someone how to run, I think you can teach them how to corp because if the runner knows how to dismantle a corporation's board, then the corporation player, once they flip knows how to build a board that is difficult to dismantle. Yeah. So, like, teaching that game is really difficult. Yeah, that's so true. And also, you're, you're teaching two games because the runner and yeah. the corp. So, it, there's a lot of barrier to entry to that game. And But, my God, it's... I wish I just could play a lot more of it. It's just... Ugh, yeah. Bring it back. Honestly, if you haven't checked checked out net, like, it's a great resource. And, like, NetrunnerDB to build your decks. Because you just build it on NetrunnerDB and import it right into net, like... But I'm not. I'm not a good player. I just want to play, and I feel like you know, because my friend has been telling me like there is online thing, and I'm like, look, I just, yeah. I just want to go to a bar and play because you know, if I go to a bar, I can play. Look, I'm not good, but I like the game. <laughs> so instead of online, I so, feel like you're there to win, while I'm just there to play the game. <laughs> like, it's just, ugh. but yeah. So I don't have anything. Just I just wish I could play more Netrunner. <laughs> well, I think we can all plug Netrunner. I played it the least out of three but i thought it was an incredibly funny game the times that i played it i do wish it was more popular i guess my question for leland would be 
Um, are, are you alluding to an online service similar to Splendor online that is for Netrunner that like I could play versus AI or whatever? Oh, AI, no. But Jinteki.net is is just a, a web browser. You that's the URL. You put it in and you can create a deck on there and you play. There's always somebody on there um, playing casual or or tournaments. It's actually a lot the the platform that a lot of uh, people that like stream playing A and R uh, use, just because again it's online. Um, I watch uh, I watch a channel called Metro Metropol Grid. Uh, he's a guy. He's uh, based out of Quebec. He's yeah, he's great. His stuff's awesome. Like he used to do back when like Fan Fantasy Flight was still producing, and he was doing like pack reviews and all that stuff, which is what I started playing. And then he actually streams every Thursday on Twitch, puts his, and YouTube. I think he simul simul streams. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just, uh, yeah, that's a, such a great game and you can never get enough of that game. Awesome. Okay. End of show stuff for us. Our website, ttpopcast.com. Uh, the T of podcast on Facebook, TT podcast on Instagram. Uh, I've been, I've been Leland Steel. I've been Moby and our guest has been Daniele Miele. Thank you so much for joining us, Daniele. It was, uh, it was an awesome time and awesome discussion on both, uh, segments there. So with that, I would say take care, listener. Thanks, listener. Bye-bye.